0: Oh boy! Not good. Good job, you guys. Good job on the plugs. All right, you know what? There's a lot of other things going on in the church. Gonna have to read your bulletin. You know what I said? A uh, first service. I'll say it again. Um, Part of this series that we're we're in, you know, your spiritual depth. And last week we talked about unhealthy spirituality. And one of the things that we do that is unhealthy in our spiritual walk is we do spiritual things that God doesn't ask us to do. Have you ever done this? Like God wants you to go to financial peace because your finances are a wreck. But you don't want to go to financial peace, do you? So you're going to go to every other single Bible study during the week to avoid the pain of the reality that God is calling you to fix, right? So get your bulletins. Look at all the different things that we have going on and ask God to highlight the thing that he wants you to do. That makes sense? So there's a lot of really good things going on, but you can't do them all. And God wants you to do something very specific. So just look at that. You know, do you, does God want you to be in fellowship with others? Does he, want to take, does he want you to take care of your marriage? We've got marriage course coming up pretty soon. Does he want you to hang out with guys for accountability? Does he want you in the woman's small group to, to grow in the lessons that we're learning on Sunday? Just, just ask yourself, God, what do you want me to do? I could do all this religious stuff, but I want to do what you're asking me to do. All right. Um, Let's open up in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that that we felt your presence in a very powerful way. And I am very thankful that you showed up today. We all showed up. But we, we all know that we can show up and you decide not to come because we have bad attitudes or whatever. So God, thank you for your sweet presence that is here in the room. Minister to us. Speak to us through your word. Show us who you are through your son, Jesus. And help us to do some hard work that we need to pay attention to. Amen. All right, like I said, we're in a new series, and technically this is day one. Last week was kind of the introduction to the spiritual depth series, and again, we talked about unhealthy spirituality, and King Saul, he's like the perfect model for somebody that is, is broken and, and doesn't know it. Do you know people like this? That, that they're, they got problems and they don't even know that they have problems. And Saul's a perfect example of this. He is, he is not self-aware and he doesn't connect with God, unlike David. And so we looked, at, we looked at his situations and we went over the symptoms of unhealthy spirituality. So if you need a review, go ahead and go online and watch the video from last week. Um, but today we're gonna be talking about the seventh Pathway. So, this is basically the first one, Uh, the seventh pathway to uh, spiritual maturity or healthy emotionally spirituality. And we're going to take a look at uh, Saul's counterpart. We're going to look at David today as he begins his career. And today's message is, is very, honestly, this is one of the difficult ones that. That, that was introduced to me probably about a year and a half ago. Uh, the whole series is, pa- is, is based off of Peter's Cazero's book, uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and you can get one out in the, in the, in the lobby after service. Uh, you can also be a part of a small group that goes up into this in detail. Janie, raise your hand. There's Janie, small group, pastor. She already feels like she's been here 20 years. So anyway, she's only been here... Was it, your second week? No way. All right. Um, So I've always had an issue with with the topic today. Today's topic is know thyself. Know yourself in order for you to know God. I'm going to tell you why I've had a problem with this. My entire Christian life I've had a problem with people wanting to find themselves. I am going to go on this this spiritual trek to find myself. I had a colleague in the antique business who, who was always doing, you know, these spiritual new age things to discover who she was, right? And I've always shied away from finding out who Josh is because of the models that I've seen of people trying to discover themselves because I know... That narcissism kills. Introspection is narcissism. So people that want to find themselves, they want to go deep down inside and discover who they are, and that they, you know, they want to find out what in their childhood has messed them up, and they want to hang out there forever, right? Right? introspection kills, narcissism kills. Let's take a look at our little friend, Narcissus. All right, here he is, and he was, he's a demigod, so he's half-god. This is Greek mythology where we get the term narcissism. So this is Narcissus, and he, he gets tricked by nemesis, to look at himself in the pond, he was incredibly good-looking, incredibly handsome, you know. And he and so Nemesis tricks him to look in the in the pond, and when he does, he falls in love with himself, and he spends eternity staring at himself and dies. Awesome story, right? So this is where we get the term narcissism, and it, narcissism revolves around you it's all about you, right? It's me looking at me, looking at me, looking at me. Have you ever been in a mirror and you double mirrors and you see yourself go on for eternity? It's all about me. everybody revolves around me. narcissistic behavior uh, it comes off as Okay, the, the, let's go to my next slide. The universe revolves around me, right? There's me, and then the next planet out is stuff about me, and then the next planet out is my stuff. The next planet out is stuff I hate, and then others, and then nowhere. See, people that are so self-absorbed and so introspective and narcissistic, they don't see people as individual, individualistic people. They, people are a, ma- a means to an end, an end to make themselves happy. They are, people are just a mere extension of themselves. It's a very dangerous place to be. It's a very, it, it leads to death. The Bible even tells us, people that, that go introspective, that want to discover the secrets of the heart, the Bible says that the heart is desperately wicked. That, that ought to make you feel good, right? So if you really want to go deep down and, and, and discover things about yourself, you're going to discover a lot of bad things. And it might just terrify you. All right? So narcissism is not good. It kills. You know what? In today's society... Uh, if you think about Facebook, if you think about People Magazine, if you think about all these things that our culture is obsessed with, we are becoming a narcissistic culture. I, I want Facebook. I love Facebook. But I have, to, I have to view Facebook and all these different things as glorified email. They're, they're tools to communicate. But it, it shouldn't be my little universe that revolves around me. That's where it's going to get dangerous in the future. So just when you Facebook, just say, it's glorified email. It's ways for me to connect and communicate, but it's not a way or a means for me to develop my own little world that, that everybody sees how cool I am and what I had for lunch. And <laughs> where I, you know, anyway. So there's there's, there's there's dangers to it. And for what I have learned over the past year and a half, there is a fine line between introspection, which is bad, and self-awareness, which is good. This is where we're going. In order for you to grow spiritually, in order for you to know God in a deeper way, you have to know yourself. And there is a problem. There's a problem that we have, is that we fall into the trap of believing that we are somebody that we're not. Mr. Cazero, called, he probably ripped it off from somebody else, by the way, but he calls it the false self. And the false self started at day one. It started at the fall in the garden. Before, before the fall, before sin entered into the planet, Adam and Eve were in the garden completely naked, completely vulnerable, completely transparent, and there was no shame. There was no false self. They were completely confident in who they were in their relationship with one another and then their relationship with God. There was nothing to hide. They were true to themselves. And then the fall happened. And, and what happened right after the fall? We got shame. We got insecurity. They began immediately to cover up who they are. They 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 immediately put on a, a false face, a false self, and they cover themselves up with fig leaves and things like that. I don't know if that's, that. Well, anyway, um, but that's the point. They needed to hide. They needed to hide who they really were because they felt insecure and vulnerable. Um, have you ever felt this sensation that this isn't who I am? There's something desperately wrong i don't belong here have you ever had this experience in college i had a had a friend he was a he was a missionary kid. you know what's worse than a pastor's kid it's a missionary's kid they're worse I'm telling you but uh, he was he you know he came in from overseas and uh, you know he had to adjust to the santa barbara culture and the and the Christian college culture so he was having some some adjustment issues and but really nice guy, really sweet kid. You know, you know he was friends with me, so he, just, he was a lot like me. This story isn't about me, by the way. But, um, and, well, you know what college is like. It's your opportunity to sow some wild oats. And even though this is a Christian college, a Bible college, um, I have some bad news for you parents that are sending your kids to Christian college. Bad things happen at Christian colleges. You can get anything you want there. Anything you want is available in Christian colleges. It's, uh, I don't know, it's not the little safe. I'll I'll correct that. Um, You can get anything you want. All the temptations are there. Uh, From my experience at Westmont, there was a spiritual covering that you could feel. So there was a sense of protection. Like you have, you, know, you have a sense of spiritual covering when you live under the house of your parents who follow the Lord. There's, a, there's an inheritance. There's a spiritual covering there that, that you get to function under and even sin under. And it's not too bad. But I remember going from Westmont to UCSB and instantly the atmosphere and the air changed. And that was an evil place. And you can feel it in the air. I don't know how else to explain it. But I just know that for some reason, there was a safety under Westmont, although you could do whatever you wanted to do. So my missionary friend, he, uh, he was he sowing was some wild oats, and he was downtown Santa Barbara, and he ended up drinking too much, and things came out of him that he didn't realize that was in him. One was anger. And so he got into, he got into a fist fight in the streets of Santa Barbara, and he gets himself arrested. For, for, you know, disorderly conduct and, and drunken behavior or whatever it is. I don't know. Um, but he gets himself arrested on the weekend, and so he couldn't get out the next day, so he had to spend three days in jail. Church kid, missionary kid, had no other prior baggage or bad things, never did anything wrong, but he just kind of, you know experimented a little bit and wound up in jail. And so he's sitting in jail. I don't belong here. You guys have made a horrible mistake. Don't you know who I am? This is not me. I am not, I'm not a prisoner. And what are the, you know, what are the, uh, the, the officers are going to say? They're like, you know, whatever. You, you broke the law, kid. You do belong here. But it was a reality shock for him. It was a milestone in his life. Milestones are really important for us to understand. See, God will have these, these moments in our lives where we will, we will come to that, that realization, that, that uh, reality that I'm not, this isn't who I am. Have you ever had this feeling? I don't do these types of things. This isn't my true self. when, When you have those feelings, this is your opportunity, this is your milestone to make a change, to repent, to head back into the right direction. Because what we do know, what we do know for certainty is that environment dictates your character. And so if you are running in those circles for very long, you will begin to turn into a criminal. So if my friend, if he hadn't have been shocked into reality that he was heading down a wrong path, he would have continued in that lifestyle of drinking and brawling and fighting, and he he would have taken on that identity. I did a little research search on um, historical imposters and the good ones, the good ones that that were con artists that would take on a, on a on a on a person's uh, identity. You remember that movie Catch Me If You Can? I forgot the guy's name. I, I, Not Leonardo, the guy that he played. Who cares about Leonardo? (laughs) He's just an actor. But the guy that he played, Abigail or something like that. What's it? Frank Frank Abigail? Yeah. Anyway, so Leonardo, Abigail, and Leonardo, he whenever he he (laughs) took on because he was a professor, he was a pilot. He was a couple of other things that he pretended to be a doctor. He actually believed he was these things. So he goes into this environment. He takes on the role, and he actually believes his own lies. See, master actors do the same thing. Whenever they take on a role, if you think that Leonardo, is a, he is a good actor. Let's just be honest. You might hate his guts, but he's a good actor. So whenever a master actor takes on a role, they, they, they throw themselves into the character, and they become the character. Right, Angela? Woo! Yes. It, yes. So they become the character. And if you are in an environment for very long, if you are hanging around a certain type of people, you will become that people. Proverbs says, a bad company corrupts good character. So, whenever you have these milestones, these shocks into your life, pay attention. They're milestones. They're very powerful. They're very important. It gives you the opportunity to stand behind the bars and say, This is not who I am. It's a reality check. And the truth is, your false self is not who you are. Your true self in Christ is who you are. Let me give you another little example. Trees know what they are. Trees are trees, right? And rocks are rocks. They're completely confident in who they are and what they do. They were created by God. They know their purpose. We also were created by God, but there's a difference in us, and that's called free will. And so we were created to be a certain way, to look a certain way, to have a purpose in life, yet we get to choose not to follow. We get to choose to be something else. We get to choose to be a false self. So this is what we're going to be looking at. It's difficult stuff. And even though... I'm, I'm desperately opposed to narcissism. We have to look at ourselves. We have to understand what our motivations are. What, we have to understand what our false self is and what God is calling us into our true selves. We need to know what makes us tick. And the whole concept behind this series is that 10% of what we project and what people see and what people project back onto us. The things that are on the surface are the only things that we pay attention to. It it could be anything from, okay, yeah, I know I have a problem and and I'm I'm aware of my problem, but that's on the surface. What's going to kill you is the stuff, the 90% that you don't see. And so this is the difficulty of this series is that we're going after the stuff that we can't see, that you're not even aware of. You might be a master actor and not even know it. You might be conning people. You might be manipulating people, your family members, your friends, your coworkers. You might be acting out of insecurity and not even realizing it. I have something very fun for you. I put it in your bulletins. And uh, I'm going to read off my bulletin because I think I messed it up when I sent it over. But I have a great list. Let's take a look. Here are... 15 false self-symptoms. Number one, I say yes when I really mean no. I get depressed when people are upset with me. I have a need to be approved by others to feel good about myself. Are you like saying, Josh, stop, stop now, stop. You guys ready to go home? Want me to stop? Say uncle? I don't want to do it, I don't want I don't, I don't wanna do this, Josh. I act nice on the outside, but on the inside I hate your guts. I often remain silent in order to keep the peace. I believe that I make mistakes. I myself am a failure. Number seven, I avoid looking weak or foolish. For not having the answer. Number eight, I criticize others in order to feel better about myself. They, they do that in junior high, by the way. Number nine, I have to do. I have to uh, excuse me. I have to be doing something exceptional to feel alive. Number ten, I have to be needed to feel alive. Ouch. Number 11, I'm fearful and can't take any risks. I do what others want so they don't get mad at me. Do you do stuff so people won't get mad at you? Number 13, I use knowledge and competence to cover my feelings of inadequacy. All right, if you have kids in the service, you might want to excuse them for a second because they might use this later in a parent-child conflict. I want my children to behave well so that others will think that I'm a good parent. <laughs> then the last one, I compare myself a lot to other people. All right. so the, not fun stuff, right? So these are the symptoms. These are the symptoms of a false self. So if you've answered yes to any of these issues, and, and you, you, you have, we all have, there's something, there's got to be one in there. If there's not one, if you don't identify with any of those, guess what you are? Narcissistic. <laughs> um, oh, I'm just, uh, Narcissism is, is a tricky one, isn't it? You know what, one of the dangers of narcissism is narcissists sometimes know that they're narcissistic, so they try to cover it up with false humility. Oh, thank God, I'm so humble. And then they busy themselves doing humble activities so that they look good in front of other people. But they have to be honest with themselves. They have to go through this list. And the whole point, and the whole, one of the issues that we're going to be looking at is, how, you, how do you know yourself? How do you know your true self opposed to your false self? And there's, really, there's a couple of ways. But the whole premise of the book is, you know, you need to spend time alone with God in silence and solitude. And you need to do some weed pulling of your own emotional issues. The two are inseparable. Spirituality, healthy spirituality, and emotional uh, health, they're inseparable. That's the whole premise of the book, if you get a chance to read it. All right, so today we're going to be looking at David. Now, David, I, 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 printed, off, I printed my notes off. It's like nine pages. It's, it's slightly problematic right now, isn't it? So did you bring your lunch? <laughs> no. no, okay. Um, we'll get through it. But we're going to be talking about David. We're going to be talking about you know, the, the, his very early career, and you all know the story of David and Goliath. You heard it in, you know, in Sunday school. If you went to Sunday school, if you had that opportunity, if you didn't get to go to Sunday school, David was the second king of Israel. Saul was the first. He was the unhealthy individual that we talked about last week. David takes his place, and this is the beginnings of it. This is, and we're going to see the difference between uh, David's approach and Saul's approach. And again, we have, uh, you know, we have King Saul who is in command of 330 troops. He has a record of victory. And he also has a record of victory where God comes in and supernaturally intervenes. Where miracles take place on the battlefield. Where the spirit of the living God falls on Saul and he prophesies. So they understand that they serve a powerful God. And now they face off with one of the nastiest enemies in the Bible, the Philistines. And the Philistines were sea people. They, you know, they, 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 they had boats, and, and they, they'd travel up and down all over the place, and, and they just wreak havoc on everyone. They're like, they're like the Vikings, right? They're, they're like the Vikings. They're like ancient Vikings. And so uh, they, they're in Israel, and they're facing off. They have two armies, one on one hill and one on the other hill, and they got this long valley in between, and, and it's a stalemate. And they've been, they've been looking at each other for 40 days. It's interesting. If you're into numbers, you know what that one means. So they're, 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 they've been looking at each other for 40 days, and then they have this champion. They have this, this seasoned veteran. He is a Navy SEAL. He's Goliath. He's 9 feet tall. He has a spear that weighs 15 pounds, and his armor itself weighs 250 pounds. He is mean. He is nasty. He's got this huge, giant sword. And all day long, he's taunting the people of God. He's making fun of them. He's calling them a bunch of sissies. He says, I'm going to take it easy on you guys. Just send one guy over, and I'll kill him, and and then we'll we'll, we'll have a battle of champions if you guys got anybody that can face me. And so he's making fun of them the whole time. And here's the point that you need to know about the people of God. They're sitting on the other side of the valley terrified. These are, these are a people group that experienced the power of God in battle, and yet they are believing the lies of this giant who's mocking them. They have become atheists. They're sitting on the line, and they don't believe in God. They, they, have, they become full-blown atheists because they don't believe God can come in and intervene. And we have this little shepherd boy that comes in, and he says, no, this isn't right. We, we can do this. In fact, I can do this. So we have somebody who might, on the surface, appear narcissistic, but he's not. He's very self-aware. From last week, David knew who he was and he knew God. And you see it all throughout Psalms. You see, Saul, you see uh, David, you know, full range of emotions. You know, ecstasy, joy, happiness, peace, love. I mean, he goes through those emotions. And then betrayal, hatred, kick their teeth in God. I hate their stinking guts. Why has everybody forsaken me? Why am I so depressed? Why am I so downtrodden? Oh, my soul. So we see we see David knowing himself. He's aware of his emotions. Full spectrum. So this is the type of individual that we're dealing with. He's honest with himself and he knows God. All right? Let's get your Bibles out. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And we'll take a quick read. We'll start at uh, verse 23. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out of his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. When When the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear because they were converted atheists at this point. I added that. It's not in the Bible. Now the Israelites had been saying, Do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give his daughter in marriage and will exempt him and his father's family from all taxes. Okay, that might be motivation enough right there, right? (laughs) Tax-free life. David asked the men standing near him, What will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel, who is uncircumcised? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine God-hater that defies the armies of the living God? Then, excuse me, they repeated to him what they had been saying and told him. This is what will be done for the man who kills him. Okay, this is where you need to pay attention. When Elab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom do you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are, you little punk. I added that, too. It's not the the NIV translation. Uh, And how wicked your heart is. You came down here only to watch the battle. You want to see some blood spilled. Now, what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? Come on, give me a chance to even explain myself as to why I'm here. Then he turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter, and the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. All right, so the first point on your, on your little bulletin, your outline, is when God calls you, when you have courage, when you're confident and not cocky, when you're, when you're self-aware... not introspective. God's going to use you. And when he does, you're going to have to overcome some obstacles before you can even get to your giant. And the first obstacle, the first thing that that David has to cut through, the first thing that he has to overcome, the, the thing that he needs to break first, is his own family. What we know is that David's father was old and and he was dying. So Elab was the oldest brother. So he probably had taken over the complete responsibility of the family. David was eighth. He was the eighth kid. And from Psalms, David says, you know, I was conceived in darkness or I was conceived in, uh, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, I was conceived in shame. So they're, they're, we don't know for sure; it's completely speculation. But some people are implying that David might have been illegitimate, or he might have been, uh, you know, uh, sired from another, you know, mother or something like—not sired, but birth from another mother, brother from another mother. Um, you guys get the point, right? But there, there's like there, so. Okay. Regardless, right? We don't know for sure, but regardless, there's a family issue going on where David is dealing with some type of family shame where he's not, he, he's not accepted by his own family. And then we see it fleshed out here. We see his own brother bad-mouthing him, not giving him the space to talk, not giving him the space to respond, it, labeling him a you know, conceited you know, little punk and, you know, why are you here? You're wicked. So the brother automatically begins to speak counsel, if you will, But it's all backhanded stuff. It's backhanded compliments. You know, David has got to overcome the issue with his family, the lies of his family. See, David's own family is projecting a false self on David. But you know what the beautiful thing about David is? He doesn't buy it. He doesn't even buy it from his own family, these negative things that tear him down. He doesn't buy it from his own family because David is self-aware. He knows who he is, and he's able to connect with God, and he knows what he's capable of. So he doesn't even buy the lies of his own families. But the first thing he has to overcome, he's got to fight his brother before he can fight his giant. Interesting, huh? Do you ever feel that way? like you got this thing that you got to overcome, you got this spiritual battle that you got to overcome and you and you do the right thing. You do the right thing and you seek counsel from your brothers and sisters or from brothers and sisters in the Lord and they keep on piling negativity on you. You can't do that. You're a loser. You're too small. You don't have the skills. You're not trained enough. You don't have the right education. You can't do it. Just give up now. Go home. Go home. God can't use you. You're insignificant. And this is what he's dealing with. But he has the confidence to overcome it. You know what he doesn't do? I don't know if you paid attention to this. You know what he doesn't do? What, what do you do when your brother badmouths you and labels you and calls you names? You get in a fight, right? You, get, you take it out in the backyard, you duke it out. Or you, you believe the lies and you cower and you're broken. He doesn't do that. He doesn't say... Oh yeah, well, thus saith the Lord, I'm right and you're wrong. He doesn't do that. And we'll see it again in a few seconds. All right, second point on your outline. The things that he has to overcome to cut through, to fix, to defeat before he gets to his giant. is Number two, he's got to overcome the significant others with authority and experience. Saul. This is a really interesting verse here. So he's got to overcome somebody that has experience and authority in his life. And here's the tricky part. Has his best interest in mind, too. All right, let's read on. All right. Verse 32. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go against the Philistine to fight him. You're only a boy. And he has been fight- he's been a fighting man from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it. I, refused- I rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by the hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. This uncircumcised God-hater Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defiled the armies of the living God, the Lord who's delivered me from the paw of the lion and the bear, who, and the paw of the bear, who delivered me from the hand, of, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Okay, so... It's common sense. Saul is actually applying to common sense. He's saying, look, look he was, David was a teenager. He might have even been a tween. You have a tween in your house? If you do, I, I, I pray a special blessing over your house. Anyway, a tween. Yeah, they're, they're interesting creatures. Anyway, um, it seems like common sense, right? And it seems as if, and he does, I, do, I believe this. As Saul has David's best interests. He said, son, I appreciate your enthusiasm and your courage and your, you know, your desire to, to, to make a difference, but that guy's going to kill you. You don't stand a chance. And he's a trained, seasoned, SEAL veteran. You don't have a chance. And what does David do? You know, have you ever been faced with an obstacle that is just daunting, that's overwhelming you? That it doesn't seem like you can overcome it and you you can't win? You know one of the tricks that you can do, one of the spiritual advantages that you have? Hopefully you have. If you don't, we'll be praying for you. But what David does is he reviews his history. And he's probably thinking to himself, yeah, you're right. I'm just a little boy. I can't fight that nine foot guy with the 15 pound spear tip and the 250 pound chainmail. I can't fight him. But what does he do? He doesn't go there. He doesn't look at the negative. He looks at the positive. And what he looks at is like, I remember when God came through for me and I killed the lion. I remember that time when I was faced with a difficult circumstance and God helped me kill the bear. So he reviews his history. He knows the truth about God and what God can do for him. What God has done and what God will do and he's applying it to the Philistine. So if God can do that to the lion and the bear, he can do it to that God-hater Philistine and I'm going to kill him. And God's going to help me. So whenever you're discouraged, review your history with God. It will help. It will give you that courage that you need to enter into the field and to face him. So, so Saul's like, okay, you can't do this. And then David gives him the speech. And there's something in Saul that says, all right, I'm going, to, I'm going to pour some gasoline on this courage. Son, you think you got a chance? Let's go. And then we see, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read it. But he puts on his armor. Saul takes his very own uh, military royal armor and puts it on David. He's got the chainmail. He's got the helmet. He puts the big giant sword on him. And David begins to walk around, and he says, I don't like it. You know, this doesn't feel right. This is uncomfortable. This isn't who I am. I mean, what an incredible honor to put on the king's armor. That doesn't happen. Do you guys know that? You know the most valuable possession for a king is his armor? That's where all of his money is tied up. It's in his armor and his sword. So he gives him the most valuable thing that he owns because he believes in his courage. But David knows himself well enough that even though it seems right that he's wearing the military armor in order to face the giant, it doesn't feel right. And he says, "I I can't move in this. This isn't who I am. And so he sheds that armor. He gets rid of it. And this is the beautiful part. The beautiful part is... After he takes the the you know the the armor off, he goes to a stream, and I'm I'm reading into this, but this is kind of how I see it. He goes into he goes to a stream, and he's contemplating. Okay, it doesn't say he's freaking out. He's a nervous wreck. He's praying a million prayers. You know, a million miles an hour. He isn't falling apart. He isn't nervous. He goes into this dream, he, he's thinking, he has this contemplative silence and peace about him, and he picks out five stones because he knows well enough that the Goliath has four other giant brothers. So he's thinking to himself, I'm going to kill them too. He picks out the stones, and then, of course, you know, he enters into the field. So first thing, you've got to overcome your family. Second thing, you might need to overcome somebody that's giving you counsel. All right, as believers, as Christians, you need to seek godly counsel. You shouldn't rely on me or Pastor or Pastor Steve Shogren or Janie or Mako or Michael. You shouldn't rely on us for your spirituality. Do you know that? You need to seek us for counsel. You need to seek your other brothers and sisters for counsel. The whole goal of this is that you have a spirituality that's not your own and that you're not drafting off of us. The last thing that we want to do in the world is to control you. Do you guys know that? We want to free you. We want you to have a spirituality, a relationship with God, is completely your own. If you're mature, you'll seek counsel. If you, hear, if you know yourself, and you'll, if you know God, you'll know if the counsel is sound and true. You'll have a peace about it. You'll say, yeah, that's good counsel. I'm going I'm to receive it. I'm going to accept it. I'm going to run with it. Have you ever gotten bad counsel? Have you ever gotten bad spiritual counsel? I don't really feel good about this. But I'm going to do it anyway because my Bible Bible study teacher told me to do it. I don't have a piece about it, but I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. You know what that does? It takes you off the hook for a mistake that's going to happen. And you can blame your spiritual leader, or you can blame your Bible study leader. You can blame your pastor. You can blame them because the mistake is not your fault, it's their fault. But we want you to grow into a mature adult. That takes counsel and weighs it. And weighs it. Alright? So that's the last point. It has to apply. And then the third is actually getting out into the field. Number three, the the main thing that we ought to overcome is our Goliaths, that is the giant. And the thing about Goliath that is so characteristic of what we deal with day in and day out in our spiritual walk is that he's on the other side of the field, he's a long ways away, he can't really get to us. But man, this guy can talk. It's like sports. It's like trash talking in sports. It's an intimidation game. 90% of the battle is, is intimidation by words. And so Goliath is over there bad-mouthing him. You, you're an idiot. You guys, are, you guys are jerks. You guys are stupid. You guys are sissies. And we see David have the courage. He knows what he's good at. He's good with his sling. This is what this is who I am. I'm a shepherd boy that has a skill with a slingshot, and I can use that to my advantage. I can use this projectile in a systematic way to get where I need to be. So he's able to go into the field. He has the courage. And from the field, the enemy of God approaches him and begins to call him horrible names. I'm you little runt. What, you're going to send me a little boy? And this is where the, the sadistic behavior of this giant comes out. All right. You're going to send me a boy, I'm going to kill him, I'm going to cut his head off, I'm going to feed him to the birds of the air and, and, the, and the animals in the field. This is going to be a lot of fun for me. And the enemy of God does this in our lives, and you need to be aware of this. See, it, the Bible isn't necessarily about you. The Bible is about Jesus, and the Bible, everything illustrates a spiritual truth. And the spiritual truth is, is that Goliath is the symbolic incarnation of the devil in your life. And his major weapon that he holds against you is trash talk because he has an understanding of what your true self is and your false self is, and he wants you to identify with your false self. So he's going to tell you lies about, his, about you all the time so that you will believe them, so that you'll be scared, so that you don't want to enter into the field, so that you're going to stay on the other side of the hill as a practicing atheist. Do you see what I'm saying? He wants you afraid. And this is what he does. And he's very, very good at it. So we have to confront our Goliath in our lives. And this is, this, let me see if I can figure out how he does it. All right. No, 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 no. All right, verse 41. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield-bearer, so it's not just Goliath by himself. He's got, he's got somebody holding his shield, too. That's not fair. Um, in front of him to keep, in front of him, kept coming closer to David. Dave, uh, he looked David over and saw that he was a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. David said to the Philistines, so he's not believing his lies, he says, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel. He doesn't even identify with his own abilities. He doesn't say, you come against me with your sword and your spear and your javelin, but I'm going to come against you with my little secret weapon, the slingshot. And, I can, and I'm and i really good, and I'm going to plant this thing right between your eyes. He, does he say that? No. He does not rely on his own gifts and abilities. He turns to God. He says, I rely on God. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I will strike you down, cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine armies to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. The whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And those gathered here will know that it is not by the sword or the spear that saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Okay. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Did you catch that? So whenever you're faced with your giant, you need to run towards your problem. Full confidence. Full speed ahead. I'm running out of time. i got to wrap it up real quick. Here. I'm getting there. I'm almost there. So did you guys get it? You know, usually when we're faced with a huge problem, we get paralyzed and we stay on the hill. David is faced with a huge problem and he runs towards it. Weapon in hand. And we need to do that, folks. Look, look, if the finances are your problem, you need to run towards it. You need to quit ignoring it. You need to quit burying it. You need to head it off. You need to run towards that problem. Begin to solve it. Have the courage to do it. Ask God to help you. All right. So Goliath, he's the symbolic incarnation of Satan in history. Came up with that on my own. All right. Four principles. This is in your notes. The four principles to begin making the radical transition to living faithful to our true self in Christ. Okay, again, Jesus wants to get his Back to our true self, the Adam and Eve self, right? That's, that's the goal of the cross, was to redeem us from a fallen world. First thing that we gotta do, we see David do it, is you need to pay attention to your interior life through silence and solitude. You need to, you need to be able to hear that still small voice of God. You gotta be able to be in his presence. You need to know who you are. And if you don't know who you are, if you haven't taken the time to stop, say, all right, what part of my history is affecting the way that I'm acting out right now? What part of my heritage or my ethnicity is affecting the way that I'm acting right now? What part of my past is affecting the way that I'm acting? If you're not doing these things, if you're not knowing yourself, if you're not bringing those issues before God, if you're not, if you're, if you're if you're spending more time looking at other people's problems and not yours, then there's a problem there. Okay, I'm going to look at my problems. I'm going to spend some time with God. I'm going to be honest with myself in the presence of God. First thing, you need to have an interior, know your interior self through silence and solitude. Second one is you need to find trusted com- com- companions. You do need to find accountability people that, have, that know you well enough that will get in your face and say, you're out of line. I know who you are, Josh. I know, who, I know what you're capable of. I know how God has made you, and what you're doing right now is not it. Do you see what I'm saying? You can't surround yourself with yes people, yes men and women that are going to agree with everything that you say and do. This is, this will keep you from narcissism. If you have an interior life, if you have, if you have a self-awareness in and in a relationship, a communication with God, and you're, you're, you have the courage to allow people to call you on your stuff to say, you Look, you're out of line. This is not who you are. I'm holding you accountable. If you, if you don't have those two things, you'll fall into narcissism. This is what checks us from narcissism. Number three, you have to move out of your comfort zone. You know, that list of 15 things that we read, those that will keep you from, going, from stepping out of your comfort zone. You have to take a risk. You have to be willing. You have to find that courage. Sometimes the only place that you can find that courage is your history with God. Number four, you need to pray for courage. Pray for courage. Where do you get your courage? Courage. You know, this whole story of David and Goliath, you know, when you learned it in Sunday school and when your Sunday school teacher made you make the little slingshot with the ping pong and the, and the yarn and the little leather patch. Remember that? Did you have one of those? I, I had one of those. Um, it's all about, you know, you need to be a courageous young man or a courageous young woman. But in the same way that Goliath Is the symbolic incarnation of the devil, you need to I want you, I want to encourage you to to, to shift David away from being you and identify David as being Jesus. You see, David is a prototype of Jesus. He's a he's a Christ type. Of course he's flawed, but he he taps into a New Testament truth. He does something that no one else really does in the Bible. He, he has a New Testament revelation, and he lives it, and he walks it. And he does what Jesus would do. And we don't have the courage to enter the field. Again, we're a bunch of atheists on the hill, afraid. It's Jesus who first entered into the field for us. He is the one that faced off the enemy of God when he seemed like he was weak. When he was a pure baby and just a mortal man, he emptied himself of his divine power and everything that he did, he did through the Father. He was just like us. He was a man. And he faces off the devil. And in the same way that, um, you you know, the devil strikes his heel, he says, I will crush the serpent's head. Well, David takes, he disables the giant with his little rock, and he decapitates the enemy of God with his own sword. He uses what the enemy of God intended for evil, and he uses it for his own purposes, for good. And when he does that, look, if you're not inspired by what Jesus did for you on the cross, if you're not inspired by his courage, who faced imminent death, who faced complete separation from his loving father, He experienced more pain and disappointment than all of us put together in this room. He experienced the pain and disappointment of humanity, and yet he did it for us. And if you're not inspired, if you're on the hill of being the atheist, and if you see this going on, and if you're not inspired to run out into the field and to join the battle, then you're missing the whole point of the Christian life. That ought to inspire us to fight. Going to have the band and the ushers come to the front. As they're on their way, your uh, your nice little uh, list of 15 symptoms of the false self. Can I tell you something about it? You got at least one of them, there's at least one of them that you can identify with. Have the courage. Ask God to highlight which one you need to focus on or which 15 you need to focus on. This is where the hard work begins of discovering what's beneath the surface. What are the things that I don't see that are going to kill me in my life? So begin to pray about those things. Which one is true for you? I mean, do you really want to continue the rest of your life dealing with one of those issues? of you know, trying to work hard to make other people happy, to identifying with wrong things and wrong motives. This is your homework for this week. Find one of those things to begin to pray about. Don't be afraid to have confidence. David was confident. He wasn't cocky. And when he was narcissistic, he was honest with himself. We see it all throughout Psalms. David's life, he points to Jesus. And if you are struggling with your life, if you're struggling with your emotions, if you're going through the same problems over and over and over again, and you don't know the Lord, I've got some really good news for you. If you're facing a life that just, I just don't have hope, I just can't see it, you know, I, I might entertain this God thing every once in a while, but I just don't have hope. I'm telling you, you have a champion in the form of a boy, in the form of a, of a man who stepped on the head of the one that took away our true selves. And it is his mission to give it, our true selves back to us. You bow your heads, close your eyes. If you haven't accepted the Lord into your life, If you want somebody to contend for you, to fight that battle for you, to win those victories over the things that you've been struggling with for so many years, if you've never accepted Jesus into your life, I give you the opportunity to do so. Raise your hand. All right. Great. We're all on the hill. Father, for everyone here that's on the hill, that's afraid to move into the field, that sees a problem and won't run towards it, that chooses to ignore it, I pray that you will just give us a divine, supernatural courage that will strengthen us. God, right now, as we begin to discover who we are, to do some deep work, some inward work, God, I pray that we won't fall into narcissistic traps or self-pity or self-loathing, that we will see that yeah the heart is desperately wicked but you've created me to be something different you've created me to be your child I pray that we will identify with those truths God right now I pray for uh, not only our individual souls but I pray for the corporate soul of this church that we call Granite Creek bless us God bless us bless this church because this church is in the field this church has courage this church takes risk and God, we, we, we appeal to our history. God, we did this and we saw you break through. We did this and you, you do and you that miracle. And God, we ask for more. We ask for more courage. So bless this offering, God. I pray that this offering will advance your kingdom in powerful ways this week. In your name, amen.